Good evening and welcome to Trial by Fire with your host Stacey and Rachel. Stace, welcome back. Yeah, no kidding. Sorry, my apologize or apologies, everyone. We had some major technical difficulties. <laughs> yes, we did. Thank you so much for all the messages and all the comments and being like, "We only got a chopped episode. It's not there." Unfortunately, uh, we did get it rebooted. Uh, but there's just so much we're still, you know, even as we've done this for this is our thirtieth episode, which is crazy to think about, and we're still learning about different things and algorithms and things like that. So. Thank you for the alerts. The episode's been rebooted, and we have a really good topic for you today. Yeah, so let's uh, actually we should get started. Um, let's start with a prayer. So, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheek to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. So today is uh, Wednesday of, of Holy Week. And uh, today we, we're focusing, uh, our meditations have actually been, if you've been following the Divine Office or the readings for this week, um, I've been focused on the four, four servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, Monday we heard the Lord announce a chosen servant to bring sight and justice to the nations. Yesterday we heard about uh, Christ's mission or the Savior's mission to bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. And today we hear the servant song uh, to show agony present, uh, present in the task, which uh, goes on to further foreshadow the passion. We see the servant who's suffering and insulted. But despite uh, adversary, adver adversaries and darkness, the servant remains steadfast. There are three texts that prepare us for the death and the cross. And we kind of got um, a little preview of that this past Sunday with uh, Palm Sunday. And then, of course, uh, you know, tomorrow will be Holy Thursday, followed by Good Friday, where we'll read John's Passion uh, narrative. And it's almost like we're kind of like in the, in the midst of these uh, foreboding premonitions. But at the same time, we're reminded that the servant is not disgraced and that God is ever present um, and that he has one one mission, and we're one with that mission. So the other thing uh, that I want to kind of think about in our opening prayers, there was once a homily that Pope Francis gave uh, where he echoed that, in fact, divine mystery where Jesus on the cross feels the whole weight of evil. And with the force of God's love, he conquers it. He defeats it with his resurrection. This is the good that Jesus does for us on the throne of the cross. And Christ's cross embraces love that never leads to sadness, but only to joy, to the joy of having been saved. So as we go forward today, our, our topic is, is disillusionment. And I think it's a, I always think it's a good time for our topic, by the way. I should say that. 30 times I thought it was a good time for our topic. So <laughs> how, yeah. how predictable am I? Uh -huh. But as we, you know, we're in Holy Week, so we're kind of at the end of, you know, coming on to the end of whatever we were doing for Lent, our Lenten kind of task and obligations. I mean, we've only got one more Friday where we're going to abstain from meat and we're going to actually fast on Good Friday, which is only the one of two days we fast in our calendar. We fast on Ash Wednesday and we fast on Good Friday. And I think it's a good time for us to evaluate where we are. Um, 
where we are in our Lenten task, how successful, how unsuccessful we are, um, how prepared are we for the gift of redemption in just a matter of a few days, you know, and to, and gosh, there's not enough time in this episode to unpack everything that's in my head. Shocker. <laughs> but I mean, tomorrow, I mean, many people are going to attend Holy Thursday, you know, the evening mass of the Lord's Supper. And some people, you know, are kind of duped into getting caught up with the presentation of the holy oils. But, you know, there's something much, much larger, you know, afoot at Holy Thursday. And that's both the not only the institution of the Eucharist, but also the priesthood, you know, which in itself is a fascinating topic. And um, not many dioceses do their chrism mass on Holy Thursday, although that is kind of the, the day of choice. A lot of them do it on a different day because most priests are so busy on Holy Thursday. Yeah. But at the chrism mass, you know, the priests actually renew their their vows of obedience to their bishop. Well, I think I love that we're talking about disillusionment today because we've experienced during this Lent and again, technical difficulties have kept us from really exploring this uh, with our audience. Uh, But Lent this year has been set up to be a challenge of transformation and really like exploring the transformation of our faith, our habits, um, kind of the way we perceive the world and our relationship with God and how, you know, are we making the right calls or do we need to keep raising the bar? And for many of us, this season of Lent was so transformative that we got to hyper-focus on where we really do need to grow. And not just grow and like, oh, I can be better. No, I need to make a dramatic shift in my life to make God more present there and to be more aware. And so Holy Week, in my opinion, is the great way to surrender those ailments, to surrender those feelings where, you know, where you thought you were doing everything right. You had 40 days to prove, uh-uh, sorry, we need to amend this. And now during Lent, this time, uh, this Holy Week, we get to actually surrender that realization be like, wow, even after 40 days, I still have to bring it forth to God. And I've mentioned this before in prior podcasts, but Holy Thursday is my favorite day of Holy Week. Is really? I know, I'm so weird. I love this day. Um, down to the, even the historical importance of honoring the Last Supper. I mean, artists across the world create sculptures and art to honor that last first time it was determined to be like the body and blood of Christ. Like this is it, you know, like bread, wine, body, blood. Some of my favorite songs include like that whole representative movement. You mean like the, uh, Ponji Lingua? Yeah. Like Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a good one. You know, and I, you know, I think about that, setting of what we see and of course like me thinking my homegirl Mary Magdalene I'm like I know she's back there I know she's not depicted but I know she's present um and there's a part of me that with this Holy Thursday even down to this uh, watching them wash the feet of the servants of the church you have to sit there and be like wow Okay, this is my time to hear that call it's this time to be like yes you know before mass I looked at my Lenten sacrifice, my almsgiving, my penance, and even if I was horrible at it, 
Even if I was just completely like, you know what? Life threw me a rye. I could not focus. I did not get it. I got to leave that disillusioned expectation of myself and now can be challenged to be better after Easter. I get from like that point on and be like, okay, you did get clouded. You did lose your way. But now what are you going to do for God now? This is the opportunity to launch and recreate your faith to be best for God. All right. Well, I would definitely say this Lent is like no other Lent that I've experienced before. Um, our topic today is pretty much encapsulates my Lent, which is why I think I've been so grumpy during Lent. <laughs> because normally it's a, a real fruitful time for me, a time that I really enjoy. And it's not that Lent is not work for me, um, but this year, for the first time in a very long time, I feel like I've had to work hard at doing Lent. How's that sound for being incomprehensible? I can't I imagine to- that, knowing that just in our friendship, you're like the Lent queen and Advent's my speed. And so hearing that you were working really hard, I'm sitting going, what? Not, not even. I wouldn't categorize my Lent as fruitful. I would say I've felt more than ever, uh, more desolation, more like I am in the desert, um, having to actually force some of the things that I chose to do, um, and sometimes skipping them this time, which is like not something I'm accustomed to. And I don't know why that is. I guess I've, just said, I did a lot of reading and whatnot this in particular on um, St. John's uh, Gospel, which which is vastly different for me. And I think maybe I've just been caught up too much in my head and in some of the things. And then it, it was really funny because um, I was thinking the other day, because you know everybody bags on Judas, right? And so I probably shouldn't say it like that. No, it's totally true. Everybody bags on Judas. The only one who doesn't is Lady Gaga. And before, I don't get that reference, but. Oh, it's a song. It's actually a fun little pop song, Judas. Explain that to me. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I know. It made sense in my head and then it probably didn't translate. It's fine. No, so um, before everybody worries that I turned into a heretic during Lent. I was kind of wondering, you know, and then I actually heard um, Father Mike Schmitz offer this up. He was wondering the same thing. What What is on Judas's mind that he can't share the weight, what's weighing his soul down so heavy with anyone else? There's no way he's, I know I'm going to get flack for this, but there's no way he's that bad of a person, right? I mean, they lived in a super intimate setting. They were super close day in and day out once they were all together, you know, as a 12, as a group. And, I, you know, it, it was kind of starting to bug me. Am I am I like that? Do I feel that I'm so beyond repair or so beyond help sometimes that I allow myself to wander into disillusionment in areas of my faith instead of... Um, just coming to God and saying, I have no, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to give today. Like, why is that so difficult? It's not that I've been a doubter. 
Let me let me just be clear. It's not like I'm doubting my faith or anything like that or I'm struggling in my faith. It's just that I wondered, you know, or actually I didn't wonder. I, well, I wonder why what he had that was so heavy that he couldn't. But then at the same time, I thought, oh, my gosh, how many times do I do that? Because I'm really guilty of, of that, allowing myself to become disillusioned when I think, I'm like I said, I'm so beyond repair or whatever it is I have to there's plenty of times when I have to check myself and that may be surprising to some listeners because it's like well you work for the church yeah but it's not always perfect I think that's such an interesting question it's like what was on weighing on Judas so heavy he would betray Jesus because as followers of God we know we know that Judas was the one to betray him but we don't get the backstory as to why We don't get the backstory as to why did he fall astray? Why did he do it? And knowing our own mortal issues and our own mortal struggles, you know, it's very easy to see, like, you know, he could, you know, he's traded Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. So if you think about that, you know, was he under financial stress? was being a follower of Christ so dangerous that he feared that he needed to have an escape route in case they were caught. You know, did he lose the faith? Did he, you know, betray to be like, I, you know, I trust he's got this, but I got to look out for myself. There are just so many ways that now we make those common mortal betrayals all the time. And yet, we amplify it and then I'm not trying to say it's not a bad thing, but like we amplify it to how Judas betrayed Jesus every Holy week, but we don't really get an explanation in the Bible as to why none of his disciples and buddies went, bro, what were you thinking? You know, like nobody thought to ask. And so I, that's a complete, you know, not Stacy brings that question up. I'm going, Oh shoot. Well, it's just interesting because you think about it. They are, like I said earlier, they are a very intimate group. They would have known each other really well. Which other, which also begs the question: Is this like if you're that good of friends, did you not see that your friend was in that much distress? Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, obviously, everyone knows. You know, you we don't want to sound cliche about it. Thirty pieces of silver and this and that, and not that those are trivial details, but for this conversation, those are kind of those are kind of trivial, but you know, you may not know exactly. You think about someone that you're really close to, whether it's your spouse or your best friend or a sibling, but, or your parents, you know, you may not know exactly what's wrong with them, but you definitely can tell when they're having a bad day. Yeah. You know, and you know, you may ask them like, Hey, what's wrong? Like you having a bad day and maybe, maybe, you know, they don't want to talk about it or whatever. And you let it go. Cause you just don't want to press them. But at the same time, it's just like, we, you know, we never hear about, you know, someone asking them, like, what is troubling you so bad? And then once I started getting caught up into that, which I let my mind run away with itself way too much. I'd like to tell you I was doing Lectio Divina, but it wasn't. So I'm not going to sound all holy and pious <laughs> over here. It wasn't that at all. Then I started thinking about well, how about the patience of of Jesus uh, that he know he knows it's it's Judas he knows he's troubled and he knows everything that's going to happen to him, but he, he's not, he doesn't really reach out to him. 
Yeah. It's almost like he's waiting for him to come. He's waiting. He's waiting for Judas to come to him. And you have you have to ask yourself, you know, Jesus knew in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled, he would have to be betrayed, suffer, and die. That had to happen. But what a tremendous weight of responsibility to know that and not even confide in Peter or John or anyone that was with him to be like, I have this burden on my heart and on my mind because I know at the end I'm not going to make it. And instead of saying, getting the cop out, hey, our our guy Judas is going to betray me and then they handle it. He knew and let it happen. Well, and you so, have to think it wasn't going to end up well for Judas if they if if the other twelve had figured it out. Because remember what happened when James and John and they asked if they could sit at the right hand. That didn't go well either, no. right? So even if they knew, um, I I kind of never get into that because you you know what's everything was was planned, everything was part of God's plan. So I mean that would have not impeded the plan or changed the plan. I I just think it's a a very interesting thing for us to kind of think about as uh, Catholics and as humans, as, as, you know, failed humans, so to speak, many times, um, that, and, and limited, I should say limited in our humanity, the fact that he sat with the Christ but couldn't unburden himself. Well, I think that ties so good into how I felt like a big old Lenten failure this year for most of, most of it. But I did, it weirdly turned out. Um, I had set myself the expectation to go to confession a minimum of twice a week. I was going to be like, I'm going to go. Twice a week? Twice a week. I was like, your, your girl Rachel has a lot that I do wrong. And I could do better about being more disciplined for confession. And not only did that not happen, but when I wasn't going, it was like this weight, this burden within me just kept getting bigger and bigger and becoming highly, highly volatile to the point that it was affecting my sleep, it was affecting my judgment and kind of the way I was perceiving my situations. Um, but then by teenagers, we were very grateful to be invited to a diocese-wide Lent retreat at Mission San Miguel and they offered confessions to everyone who participated. Now, mind you, huge shout out uh, to Mission San Miguel for being able to host this event. Uh, they had, this was definitely a fishes and loaves kind of story where they had prepared for a hundred people and had 300. <laughs> so it was definitely one of those where thank goodness for the Mission San Miguel community to come in on the fly and support with everything that we needed for that day, uh, for the additional priests to come and support. But in the original vision, confessions were only going to be offered for 30 minutes and it ended up being three hours of confession availability with these amazing priests that were there. And so I took, you know, took the opportunity to go. And typically, you know, we've had podcasts about making a good confession before and how there's a formula. Uh, this totally threw that out the window because each confession was a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes. Like it was that long to be able to like get to the root of the problems and kind of see. And so just for my own spiritual healing in my heart, 
It was so being able to be like, okay, this burden has been lifted. And bringing it tying back to what Stacy said, it was like, what was so wrong? What was going so wrong with Judas? He couldn't unburden himself to the one person who could forgive him instantly. You know, like who, if he would just turned and said, this is what's going through my mind, this is what's going through my decision making, my heart, my stress, my anxiety. Instead, he betrayed him. And it's so interesting hearing that conversation piece. No, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know why I was so caught up with that. Every once in a while, you know, um, some of my friends uh, from college or whatever, we get caught up. And it's, it's funny because, you know, we're all uh, kind of have a classical education when it comes to theology. But every once in a while, it's kind of like, you know, they say knowledge is power. Well, sometimes you can let your mind kind of run away with itself. And, of course, you know, I'm kind of in like, uh, what's the best word? Well, I, I guess it's kind of, um, shoot, I can't think of it. enabled mm-hmm. because I'm preparing the liturgies for the Triduum and Easter. So I'm constantly delving through these in particular readings and these, these, um, excerpts from sacred scripture. And it's kind of really easy to let your mind run away with itself when you're reading and checking them and, you know, doing things like that. So it was just, I thought it was an interesting thought. I mean, other people might not, I did because, you know, we'd always like to think that that we would unburden ourselves, but how many times, like I said earlier, that I think that I'm beyond repair, or that I'm not so much beyond help, but like I just can't put this on God, or I can't. No, or not. Let me rephrase that. Not even that I can't put it on Him. I just can't put it before Him, even. You know, and it's not even like a like a worthy factor. It's just a I don't know. I don't feel comfortable putting that before Him. So I'll keep that to myself, which is, we all know, kind of pointless because he's all-knowing anyway, right? <laughs> well, it was interesting that you say that because just in the opening prayer that you stated, you talk about how Jesus had the weight of all sin upon him when he carried that cross. He knew already, not only for who was in his realm that moment, for the future, he took on sin for every human being. From that point on. And the tremendous weight then makes our problems and our issues look so small in comparison. And I couldn't even imagine the magnitude of the weight. When you you know, you know have the saying, the weight of the world on your shoulders. He literally and figuratively had it on his shoulders. And that's, um, I, I don't think my mind can fully grasp that concept or mm-hmm. that idea. Or actually, I should say that fact, because it's a fact. You know, um, it just blows my mind to think about that. You know, I mean, how much how much does God love us? How much? All that, plus. Yeah. So, and you know, it's funny to switch subjects. You said Holy Thursday is your favorite day. You know, actually, my favorite is probably Good Friday. But Holy Thursday... Actually, I, I, I love when we move to the transition of the Eucharist, to the altar of repose mm-hmm. with the incense and the and the Paji Lingua and things like that. I, I think that's some of the mo- most moving um, liturgies that we experience in the church throughout the liturgical year, as well as I, I think that that is, um, and of course, this is not like a theological or sacramental uh, theology 
point or anything, but this is just a point of personal reference. I think that's one of the very few times that I feel so extremely close to the Lord that the line seems to be blurred for me. In no. between my humanity and his um, immortality. I would agree. Um, and in no way of me saying I, that I like Holy, I prefer Holy Thursday. Do I not understand and love the magnitude of Good Friday? You know, like good, a Good Friday Mass, we're very blessed that um, they're very powerfully held at St. Patrick's over the decades that I've experienced them. Um, however, this year is going to be very interesting because it's our first Good Friday back in the church. That's right. And, you know, last year, you know, Father Vince did such a beautiful job with that last year, being outdoor and still creating the solemnity of darkness, even though we were brought out into the light of a parking lot. Um, it, it, that is a giant responsibility that he was able to fulfill. And so, you know, even now, a year later, I still go back to things that occurred during that mass and I'm like, or that service. And you know, I'm like, wow, like that was so powerful that moment. And so we're spoiled here at St. Patrick's because we do have such creative rituals here that make it so powerful. And so now that we're inside, who's going to take advantage of that? Who's going to go and participate in this service because it is so important in the Catholic faith. Well, and what you saw Father Vince uh, do last year, it's really uh, funny because we got so many um, compliments and so many comments about our Triduum services last year that many people here had not experienced the Triduum in that fashion, which was kind of foreign a foreign idea to me. But... Um, with Father Vince and I having um, more and more conversations, looking back kind of on what had happened, I, I realized that a lot of it had to do with his uh, Filipino traditions. And basically what you saw is what I experienced every Triduum where I'm from. So it was nothing for, um, you know, on Holy Thursday, you know, um, we would only have 12. They would never wash the whole congregation. 12. Uh, because it was super symbolic of the actual 12 apostles. And many times, I know I'm going to rub some people the wrong way, it was only men, because the 12 apostles were only men. And, you know, when we would go to the altar of repose, a lot of times the Knights of Columbus would actually hold a small canopy over Father as he uh, carried the Eucharist. And there was a thoroughfare that went in, the, the whole church was pretty much filled with incense. And there was a thoroughfare that went in front with the um, two candle bearers. It was a real solemn procession. Adoration usually took place all the way into the next morning. Um, it was an all-night affair. And when we came time for the Good Friday service, you know, many of the time, many of the years, as long as our priest was, was young enough, um, which was the majority of the time when I was growing up, we'd always have a, a younger pastor, um, he would come up, he would remove his shoes, and he would prostrate himself on the floor before he ascended the altar. So it was always a, a very a very moving, a very, almost I would say, for fear of sounding sacrilegious, almost a surreal 
um, experience. It was like entering a, a, a parallel reality. Um, it was super easy to be taken away, even even as a kid, I remember, just being transported to a whole different world because of the way the divine liturgy was celebrated. And, um, you know, one of the things we did last year that people found very, I guess, impressionable, which I did not realize because I had always taken it for granted, was that when Father Vince entered, he actually did not just have a cross. He had a, a crucifix. So he unveiled the corpus piece by piece. And when it came time for veneration of the cross, that was what they venerated. And it was very moving for a lot of people. And um, I think it allowed him to command a certain degree of reverence. Um, looking back on last year, and even as it was gone, as, as the liturgy was happening, uh, I was just in awe that the divine liturgy in a parking lot was commanding that amount of reverence with busy traffic passing and you could hear the, you know, the cars and trucks on the road. Um, but it definitely transported me back to, you know, growing up in, in South Louisiana and, and that amount of reverence. And like I said, it's, it was an, always an otherworldly experience. It's, uh, mass was always a good experience for me when I was growing up. But I remember it was those days during the course of the year that I really felt like, not that I could ever touch the hem of God's, garment but th that was close mm -hmm. I would agree I mean I even remember down to like the unforeseen powerful wind that was like gusting through that parking lot and yet everyone sta stayed firm through that whole service and it was um, you would look around even the kids were quieter uh, there was less distraction even with all the cars passing it was just it's so remarkable and so now we've got this year where, you know, the mandates have been lifted. We are able to be in the church. Uh, there is a degree of normal that has been reinstated among the people. And we even got to see that on Palm Sunday with everyone congregating outside and presiding in together as if uh, emulating what happened when Jesus went through Jerusalem. And so there's going to be this degree of engagement now that we hadn't seen and i wonder what people are truly surrendering to god this day it's gonna it's gonna be pretty It'll it's be gonna be a very something to not only be honored to be a part of but also observe and of course you guys know i'm like a sucker for people observation i'm like give it to me so i'm gonna <laughs> be like i'm gonna be like oh my gosh like how are people truly engaging in this yeah, and I think it's it's all happening. You know, everything is kind of coinciding at a, a really good time because these are, you know, these are the liturgies that, that kind of involve the congregation the most. And now that we have, um, you know, hardly any restrictions, really, it's kind of coinciding at a good time because, um, gosh, it would just, you know, be really difficult to be inside the church and not have people uh, able to respond or to venerate the cross, or, you know, so it's all happening in a really good time, I think. The timing is, is really ripe for almost kind of like a, a reopening, a welcome back. It's a good a good time. Well, I think it's interesting, too, um, going back to our original concept of disillusionment, given that we do have all of these opportunities to be at mass, to experience Holy Week, to go through this. It is, it's almost, 
comical that we still feel feelings of disillusionment going into this week. We kind of be like, you know, oh, this is so great. We should be so optimistic. Yet, I'm still burdened with these ideas of like, what does it really mean? Am I worthy enough for this? Has this all been for naught? What do I do? And I think that's like a big example of our own mortal processing. I don't know, because I always experience what I would call a Lenten hangover. Because I all I feel like Holy Thursday and Good Friday, and then even, even the Easter Vigil to a certain degree, I always feel like, you know, Easter Sunday, although I, I know before anybody panics and writes letters to my bishop, I understand the, the theological significance and all that, but I, I categorize my situation as having this Lenten hangover because I feel like Easter is just too quick after those those three days. And I, it takes me, it takes me a little bit, a little hot minute to get to Easter, even though I'm physically there. It takes me a second. Well, think know? about when it actually happened. It all went in a span of three days. We go from, you know, he's, um, they have, um, the for the Last Supper. He's taken away. He is crucified. He dies fights the devil and wins over the course of days and then on a sunday poor mary magdalene walks up to that uh uh, to his tomb and he is gone he has risen and it's like to understand that like yeah we're feeling the hangover of processing two thousand years later and yet what imagining it live the impact of that emotional roller coaster would just be insane and we used to have you know like the Easter Vigil, because uh, we did go to that when we were growing up, believe it or not. And they did read, like, all seven readings. The fire outside was, like, in a huge, like, sugar kettle. So it was a huge fire that, like, the church, even though no lights were on, it was lit up. That's how big the fire was. But um, but one thing that was, especially in my house and in my, my grandparents' house growing up, that was heavily impressed was, you know, on Good Friday... Um, you know, there's the tradition they don't they don't do anything pretty much from like twelve to three. And especially like no digging in the ground, no any kind of anything. Um Digging and, in the ground for what? Uh, cause that's more like a tradition there that you wouldn't labor, no fooling with the ground because you just oh. you, you don't. It's uh I don't know you don't wanna say bad luck because that would be superstitious, but <laughs> You weren't allowed. We, we didn't play in the it's dirt. It's like taboo. We didn't play in the dirt. We didn't, you know. But, um, you know, those, that in particular time that he would have been hanging there. You know, you talk about disillusionment, um, you know, and desolation. And isolation, feel, feelings of by yourself and abandonment. Um, that was heavily impressed upon us, even even as kids, that that's what Jesus was feeling at that time and point. Then it wasn't until we were a little older they would impress upon us the, uh, you know, the the physical physicality of the crucifixion, but um, the mental aspect, I guess, when we were younger was was more of a focus. So that's you know, as I got older, that was something I always carry with me because. That's what we were kind of uh, encouraged to think about during that time, because we never had like a. Um, we didn't eat. Uh, we, I mean, you fast that day, anyways, but we didn't eat in between those hours. 
Uh, a lot of times all we had was water. Definitely was no TV. Any, no, nothing, you know, was on or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it was really a time of silence in my house. Well, one of my, and I'm going to get in so much trouble for sharing this. Uh, one of my favorite memories of Good Friday growing up, um, um, I was in middle school or something like that. I think middle school or high school. And of course, at that age, you're rebellious. You're always, you know, like tempted to talk back to your parents and be like sassy back. And um, not surprising, I do have a big mouth and a lot of attitude and did not stop at that age. And uh, I remember my mom picked us up from school and my best friend uh, to go to Good Friday Mass. And she just reams into me before Mass of like, your phone's going to be silent. If I even see you hint at touching your phone, you're going to lose everything. Like all like the good parenting discipline thing going on. And so she, my friend and I are cracking up, like just like, okay. And she goes, you need to be serious. It's good Friday. Like knock it off, you know? And I'm like, okay. And we go in the mass. It's dark. We're trying to pray. And suddenly a phone goes off and it's not mine, but my mom's. And it was loud and obnoxious. And of course, you know, my mom in this moment had no grace. So the phone's flying, trying to turn it on silent. And you just see all these people looking and she just looks at me. She goes, not a word. And like, even now, like year, decades later, I still go, remember when you were thought I was going to be the phone? She goes, be quiet. <laughs> so that reverence is still there. And so, um, it's just becomes this moment where we get to really surrender and honor this time. Um, I know that uh, for myself in general, we do the fasting and uh, try to unplug as much as possible uh, in a post pandemic reality. That's a giant challenge uh, because there are so many calls and emails that people try to get a hold of you for. Uh, but I'm very impressed. Um, my sister's place of work, um, is actually their entire union considered a union holiday. So no one is working uh, at her uh, work site that day for Good Friday. So I'm like, heck yeah. So oh wow, I know. I was, I was shocked and impressed, uh, especially given that she is in the entertainment industry. I was like, what? So I'm very impressed by that move. I know. And, when, and there's so many great things to do on Good Friday. There's so many great devotions like Seven Last Words, the Tenebrae, there's, there's the Sorrowful Mysteries, um, you know, there's the Seven Sorrows of Mary, there's so many great, um, What great are the seven last words? Because I'm pretty confident our audience doesn't know what that That's is. That's a great devotion, and I'm trying to remember, um, I think Cardinal Dolan, Cardinal Timothy Dolan, the Arch Cardinal Archbishop of New York, I think he's got a really great version. And then I, I don't, I don't know why I want to say this. I could be wrong. Let me just preface that. I want to say Bishop Barron, Bishop Robert Barron, one of the auxiliaries of LA or Los Angeles diocese or diocese may have a version of it also. Um, but it's a great, a great, great meditation. Um, some churches do it. Um, I mean, we're not, but there's, uh, it, it's a great one, but you can probably find it either, you know, uh, through podcasts or maybe like uh, the Sirius XM uh, Catholic uh, channel. 
maybe, or even EWTN, but um, it is really, really good. Um, I've done that before, and it, it, it doesn't disappoint. So um, it will be interesting to do it here, but I don't know if we could pull it off because we have two, uh, two services on Good Friday, so... Um, we'd have to workshop that, see if that is something we could do because, uh, I know I've never participated in it, but it would be really neat to learn. Yeah. I mean, and it can be done, um, a couple different ways, but it's, it's always, it's always super, super, uh, devout. It's a, it's just a great devotion. I couldn't say enough about it. Like I said, I haven't done it in years, but. And this is the seven last words. That's what this is called. You can, yeah, you can look up, you can Google seven last words of uh, Jesus. And they're just, um, I mean, you can do it on your own. Uh, there's just seven um, short phrases that he says. So, wow. like the father forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, Amen, I say to thee. Uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. And then there's usually, you know, you do the sentence and then there's a reflection. So, and then uh, some of them have really extraordinarily uh, beautiful music that accompany them. Wow. So it's re- it's a really neat devotion. Oh, you know where you can probably get it? I just thought about it. Um, Laudate. Oh. The Laudate app. I can't say enough about that thing. That is a free app. Uh, we discussed that earlier on when we first launched our podcast. That is a free app, and it packs a lot of information. I mean, there's there's so much. You have so much Catholic info in the palm of your hand just in that app alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, our, um, our teenagers did a very interesting thing um, at the beginning of Lent. And last week when we got together for our, our, our this past Sunday for Palm Sunday, uh, for those uh, year two candidates that were there, they wrote their Lenten promise in a letter to themselves. And I locked them up all through Lent. And then they came back on Palm Sunday, which was their class before, and I gave them back. And they took a moment to read and saw if they could fulfill their Lenten promise over that time. And what I found was very interesting for my teenagers is they did, but they also made changes to make it more meaningful without being told. Wow. So for example, I have to brag. Um, one of my uh, students, um, they have, their mom is expecting as a, you know, they're uh, expecting. So the house is busy trying to prepare for a new baby. And they went from, giving up soda for Lent, like I'm giving it up to taking the time to do more for mom. And, you know, for those of us who are adults, imagining doing more things for our parents doesn't seem like a big priority. Um, However, watching that transformation happen in this young lady was pretty incredible because she was always very mature but to watch her awareness during this transformative time be like, you know what? Things are about to change forever in my home. How can I support my mom, especially now? Um, 
I just felt that was so special. Um, there were a couple of teenagers that were really disappointed that they missed the first time because when they were revealing, like, oh, I want to go through it. I want to do it. And I'm like, you still can. You just don't get the uh, follow-up piece of the that you we are going through. You get to just de- deem for yourself, was Lent successful or not? And it really starts that conversation of self-awareness and especially self-awareness during this transformative season in the Catholic year. Yeah. Another, another great thing um, you can do on Good Friday, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I used to read a lot of him, but there is, um, you know, a whole bunch of synopsis and excerpts from uh, Hans von Balthasar about Christ's actual descent into hell. And, and those can be really, really kind of thought-provoking. And really, you can definitely um, get motivated for Good Friday by reading some von Balthasar. Um, and, and it's, you know, if you've never done it, um, it's really, you can definitely disappear into it. I would be very interested to have that be in parallel with um, a classic book, that's always deemed like for in this area for high school, uh, you have to read Dante's Inferno and the seven circles of hell. And I'd wonder how that would be in parallel with this reading suggestion. uh, Because I believe, you know, to really understand that concept, it would be interesting to read both readings and be like, Ooh, like let's really look at that because Dante's Inferno was just about one person going through it. But then this reading is about, what actually happened when Jesus, after Jesus is crucified and he fights it's hell? One, it's I think it would be so. Take on it. It would be amazing to read. Yeah, and you definitely need to understand the church's traditional teaching on that, on the doctrine of Christ to sit into hell. But von Balthasar actually goes into, you know, talking about how um, that he would have suffered the the pain of punishment of the damned. Even, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's very, very interesting and it's, it, it's very enlightening for a Good Friday read. Cause I know some people like to read on Good Friday. I mean, that was again, like when I was talking about my childhood, what we did from 12 to three, that was something that was encouraged in my home was to read from 12 to three. And, you know, that's, that's probably how I first became, even as a little kid, familiar with um, the seven last words. I know that sounds morbid, but that was, you know, one of the go-tos in our house. Um, obviously, my my mama was big on the seven sorrows of Mary um, as the Madre de la Rosa. But um, later on, especially in my college years, I, I read a lot on Good Friday, a, a lot of on Balthasar. Well, for those who don't have, who don't choose to read, um, there are two films that are always brought up at this time. Um, there's the passion of the Christ and there's, uh, risen, uh, both of which have had very recent Hollywood takes either of those. I have actually seen the passion of the Christ only once. Mm -hmm. Uh, that came out. At a point in my life where I was just so everything you felt, it was just like it was like the first feeling. You're like, oh, it's so overwhelming. I'm feeling this, uh, but I've as I've gone through the years watching it, um, it becomes a moment where it's so reflective, 
And I take a lot of intentional pauses instead of like watching it through, I, like pause and you make pray. It like, your med- like a prayer. Yeah. I pause and pray and go through it. Um, with Risen, however, uh, that goes through what happens when the body of Christ is discovered to be missing. So the Romans are looking for the missing body. Like, where is Jesus? And it follows a specific centurion and his journey ultimately to becoming a follower of Christ. And it's, that's a very fascinating tale. Of course, not true. Uh, it's a Hollywood take, but for those who question like what did happen, you know, from that point of view, it's a really great way to tie it, tie it together and see it from an alternative perspective. Um, so, uh, both are really, as long as when you're watching, you know, first time through, go through, but if you repeat the practice to stop and meditate, uh, for those who don't like reading and meditating, it's a good visual cue to be able to pause and connect. Yeah. And I, like I said, I've only, I haven't seen, was it risen? Mm -hmm. Um, I've only seen passion with Christ once. Um, a friend of mine worked on that movie. But the ironic thing about that movie is, I think the year before I saw it, I had actually read um, this whole, uh, another friend of mine gave it to me, it, it is a medical account of a crucifixion. So actually when I saw that, I know a lot of people say it's hard to watch those in particular scenes, it, had, it took on a whole different meaning. Because I had read that uh, kind of medical account of a, of a Roman crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So even though it looks completely horrifying on screen, it was difficult for me to watch with that in the back of my mind. Oh, that knowledge and the full understanding of what that took. Um, it's interesting. After, <laughs> I, I know we talk about like setting uh, that concept of like when you have your limit in your brain, you're like, okay, this is my threshold, the threshold of understanding Uh, watching the passion. Those difficult scenes really did set a new bar in my brain of like violence and what we can accept and our own personal connection and accountability because, you know, we're witnessing a portrayal of Jesus dying for us. So things became less impactful in the future of yeah. like watching violence and watching those kind of things. Cause um, it was hard for me to wrap my mind. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's violent. But this was so emotional years later. Um, I was watching a show set in the, uh, Roman time and they had this line of his it, historically accurate, uh, line of crucifixions that went from Rome all the way, um, uh, down to what we would know as Bulgaria. It was a line of um, uh, rebellious slaves that had gone through, and the punishment for any that were obtained was crucifixion. And I remember watching, and I, you know, at the time you were like emotional for the characters, but it was not that same gut reaction that came from watching The Passion. And I think because, you know, we are dealing with witnessing Christ die for our sins. And the impact and that violence, it was so heavy and such a burden on us, and especially in our own reflection, that we need to come for that place of gratitude and acceptance in it for ourselves of being loved children of God, that any other future cru- crucifixions that are ever made, I was kind of like, oh, that's sad, but it wasn't nearly that same intensity. 
This is uh, when I first saw The Passion. I, I watched it as a, I would say, because I'm not a big movie buff, I, I watched it as a skeptic. I mean, I knew, I had heard that it was thorough. Um, like I said, I knew someone that was, um, they were one of the theologians, um, the consults on the movie. So I knew it would adhere, you know, to scripture. But it was so visceral and so real. You know, and then, of course, you know, seeing it, you know, it's a lot different than than seeing older movies like The Robe and mm-hmm. things like that. With, you know, newer technology and stuff, it made it uh, so vivid, so real, you know. Plus, uh, utilizing the actual language. Yeah. You know, that made it so much more personal because um, we have accounts where they would use English and we're like, oh, he's just like us. But really getting it down to the dialect and the engagement, it just becomes a completely different experience to watch. Um, you know, on the topic of disillusionment, uh, we had talked about Judas before. But in the past couple of years, I keep going back to like, how much does it suck to be pilot? Like, how much does it suck to be Pontius Pilate, who did not deem him guilty, was like, no, I really think this is a good person. This is not okay. And then in our faith, every single mass, we are reminded he was uh, Pontius Pilate. There he was. And when we look at the readings, he didn't want that fate for Jesus. And so I think that that's a big area of disillusionment for him to be like, you know, this wasn't what I wanted. I want, I wanted Jesus to be, you know, flogged and let him go. But it was the cry of everyone else to have him be crucified. Yeah, I mean, man is a, a frail, cruel, flawed creation. I mean, we really are. It, it, that's why when you you study a lot in the catechism, and, you know, it reiterates over and over that man was created in the image and likeness of God. You think about, you know, we talked about Judas today and we talk, you talk about other notorious people in the course of the history of the world who have been, you know, just awful human beings. But then when we kind of turn the lens on ourselves, you think, how far have we gotten away from that, from that image and likeness? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Gosh, that's something that each each night when I do my kind of examination of conscience, it, it kind of bugs me how flawed and, and how awful I am as a person. Well, when I think about Pontius Pilate, uh, especially when I was going through Station of the Cross and we we're going through the Passion on um, Palm Sunday, I really wanted to like take it from his point of view to be like, you know, he did not deem him guilty. He, they were having a very positive conversation. He's like, I washed my hands of this. This is not my problem. And then ultimately it's the responsibility is thrust back onto him and he surrenders to the cry of his citizenry. How often do we do that where we hold a principle or we hold a expectation for ourselves or for God, that that's going to be it. And yet we let pressure cave us from fulfilling that with fidelity. Well, expectation gets me personally in a lot of trouble. It's, it, it, I mean, we just said about humanity being flawed. 
expectation is one of my major personality or character flaws. Because my expectations are consistently warped. Or not in sync with where they need to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But expectations for others or yourself or both? Uh, I think both, but, mo- but mostly myself. You know? And where I should be or how I should have things done. It just gets me in the... Gets me in a little bit of trouble sometimes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, with other people, I mean, I, I think that I hold people to the same standard that I hold myself to. So that can kind of get me in trouble. My husband constantly tells me that I just expect too much from people. But I don't think that it's too hard to be kind to other people. I say that. Now someone's probably listening out there thinking about how much of a butt I am. You know? What's so funny is uh, when Stacey says, 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 I can just imagine her husband telling her that. <laughs> like, I just like in my head, I'm like, oh. I know. I, I hear all the time. Why are you surprised by that? I'm like, well, I don't know, but I am. Well, I find especially when we're dealing with work in the church, work in education, work with uh, disenfranchised populations, people come in with such high ideals, not only for themselves, but for what they see for their program, for the people they serve, but mortal flaws in the people you work with, with the vision, with laws, with all these things hunker down and almost force you to not hold firm and not change. And I think that that I can see so much in the plight of Pontius Pilate is like, you know, he was like, no, he's innocent. It's not my problem. I wash my hands. He wanted so far away from this yet. Eventually it did return to him and he did have to like send him to die. And it's like that, you know, you cave on what you believe just to get the silence or at least the consent. And that's scary. That's so scary in our reality. Because how, I ask myself, how often do I cave in just for peace? Oh, yeah, I'm fixing to do that in a few minutes. Just cave for peace. <laughs> 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 you're laughing but i'm being serious oh i'm gonna do that in a few minutes oh boy yeah, i'm off today I, I apologize people no no this is disillusionment brings so many different conversations and this is where our listeners we want to hear from you was your lent successful um did you find that you transformed as a person as a wife or a husband as a daughter as an employee as a friend what if i'm answering no to all those then then (laughs) remember what we talked about right we talked about at the beginning if you didn't surrender that this holy week go to holy thursday good friday easter vigil bring that to the table because easter is a day of celebration we celebrate that he rose from the dead our whole entire purpose of being catholic on holy saturday i think i'm just going to be like Instead of Groundhog's Day, I'll just be like six more weeks of Lent because I need six more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm a naughty Catholic. I will be returning from another city, so I will not be in that frame. I will be driving home safely, so my brain will not be on that. Well, I encourage everyone as, as we close today to uh, wander over to your local church. 
And if you can attend them all, great. If you can't, pick at least one this year and go to. And um, they're not Holy Days of Obligation, Holy Thursday or Good Friday. Um, obviously, Sunday is a holy is a, a day of obligation for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. But if you can't make them all, pick one and kind of go to. And, um, and focus on that. And finish out your lunch strong. If you feel like you've been dogging it or slacking, pick one and go to and finish strong. Yeah. That's what I would say. They're beautiful times. I, I, I don't know. For all the people that feel like God is so far from us, you know, you, you can be close at any time, but you really get to draw close, at least at this time of year, take advantage. Absolutely. Because your parish will more than likely pull out all the stops for these liturgies. And and it is a glimpse of the divine. It really is. And it's such a beautiful opportunity, even if you feel completely isolated from God, your life, your goals, the things you expected for yourself, surrender yourself to Holy Week. And I promise you something will spark within you. And that's the love of God. And pray for your priests because they're yes. entering a super busy time. Oh, pray yes. Pray for your priests. Pray for your priests. Send them all the love and support you can. Be creative in the way you support them because they need it. They need it big time. Uh, so our closing prayer uh, for today's podcast, which I can't believe we're already at time, uh, this was actually um, sent to our feed from one of our amazing parishioners. And it's just such a beautiful little reflection that um, was written. So I'm trying to technical difficulties. I just look like a total spaz. No, I'm talking about my thumb. Up and running. Right, we're back to normal, and my thumb decides it just doesn't want to work anymore. There you go. Okay, so this is called Drinking from My Saucer by John Paul Moore. I've never made a fortune, and it's probably too late now, but I don't worry about that much. I'm happy anyhow. And as I go along life's way, I'm reaping better than I sowed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. I don't have a lot of riches, and sometimes the going's tough. But I've got loved ones around me, and that makes me rich enough. I thank God for his blessings and the mercies he's bestowed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. I remember times when things went wrong. My faith wore somewhat thin. But all at once the dark clouds broke, and the sun peeped through again. So God, help me not to gripe about the tough rows I have hoed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. If God gives me strength and courage when the way grows steep and tough, I'll not ask for other blessings. I'm already blessed enough. And that may I never be too busy to help others bear their loads. Then I'll keep drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. Guys, that has been Trial by Fire Podcast with your host, Stacey and Rachel. Have a beautiful Holy Week. See y'all later.